0: This is Wisconsin Profits, the top Wisconsin-based business podcast. We'll hear from business leaders, entrepreneurs, and the
1: influential people in the Badger State. Here's your host, Alex Byrne.
0: And welcome back. Today we have Tim Carr from the Milwaukee area. Hi, Tim. How are you? Good. How are you doing? I'm doing great today. Uh, Could you just give us a little short intro about yourself and kind of what you do and what are your current roles? Yeah, so
1: I'm a lecturer at the University of Wisconsin, Whitewater, uh, private investor, consultant, uh, consultant in real estate uh, investments. I'm doing some stuff in nutrient farming uh, and down in Illinois with uh, a group and a professor out of Northwestern University. And I started my background in commercial banking. I was an equity trader for 13 years, Uh, did a couple of startups, um, helped grow one across the country. And then I'm actually on my about uh, eighth startup and I invest personally in real
0: estate uh, on the side as well. Awesome. Okay. Right away. I want to, I want to go into this nutrient farming uh, thing. (laughs) Could you just dive a little deeper into that? I think everyone would love to hear about that.
1: Yeah. So it's really cool. Uh, I was actually recommended by another professor uh, to kind of work with this group and we have a paper that's actually trying to be published on it. And what nutrient farming is, so the wastewater treatment plants, the EPA is increasing how much nutrients have to be taken out of the water so we can all drink it and it be safe. Well, it's really expensive to do that if you need to expand the facilities, and to the tune of hundreds of millions of dollars. So what nutrient farming is, it takes some of that farmland that's along the rivers, and then it goes kind of through a cycle process. And through that process, it takes out the nitrogen, the phosphorus, and the carbon, and for a 10th of the cost. Wow. And wow. so it's really cool in terms of, and they've done it in certain parts of the country and other parts of the world. They just haven't done it in uh, Wisconsin yet or Illinois yet. And so we're actually working with a couple of people and get, getting funding for it to, to work on that right now and working with uh, the EPA and the DNR and, um, and the different government entities as well.
0: Wow. That sounds great. Uh, We're definitely going to have to come back and touch on that later in the conversation. So could you talk a bit about like the early days, kind of your early education, and then what got you started in your earlier careers? You said commercial banking and equity trading.
1: Yeah. So um, I knew I had an interest in business and finance in particular. I I mean, even in uh, middle school, they actually banned me from selling stuff. (laughs) (laughs) And so they made made rules against me and said, you couldn't do it because I'd come (laughs) I'd come home and my pockets were full of uh, kids' lunch money. (laughs) (laughs) And so I I knew I wanted to be, you know, in business of some kind. I just really enjoyed it. And uh, so when I went to school, that's kind of what I went for. And even um, as a sophomore, uh, I went to Michigan State University, and you couldn't take um, higher-end finance courses. But I talked to um, this professor who ended up becoming the chair of the business school at some point. And uh, the uh, she said, Yeah, we'll try it. If you don't do so well, you know, we'll audit the course for you. And uh, I did it. And I just loved it. It was the stock market. And there's a book that's been written over and over again. I still remember one of the ones she had me read was a random walk down Wall Street. And I just absolutely loved it and started getting into the stock market. And of course, this is you know, free computers and so forth, but the, uh, so I, you're trying to trade and do stuff while watching, you know, CNBC and, you know, reading stuff in the paper, which is, it, it was absolutely impossible to do it that way. You, you really had to do analysis, but I just loved it, right? I just, it really spurred an interest in me. Yeah, and, uh,
0: I remember yeah. uh, when I was little, uh, I got, I would sell paracord bracelets during basketball games and I would have the, the people collect the money, and then after the game there'd be this like 10 year old kid like taking money out of the cash drawer. And I just, I'd give them a cut for the fee, but I just remember them being so just like so like in awe and like, what are you doing? <laughs> so that, that, that's kind of what sparked uh, my interest so uh, you talking about your interest in finance so you did, did you al- you said you always had that interest from business, but it was kind of that class that got you into it
1: yeah well that, that was a class what where- that I really, I knew I liked the stock market. And so I really wanted to try it and see and learn a little bit more and see if I really liked it. Um, Both my brothers were, they graduated with accounting degrees and not hitting on the accounts, but it didn't seem too exciting. (laughs) 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 And and the the way I liken it too is the accounts are telling, kind of telling you what is there and the finance people are trying to predict what's going to come. And I kind of like that. I like trying to figure that out. There's, there's so many different uh, variables that go into it. And um, even when I was at school, the, uh, they didn't go, actually go to Wall Street at the time. And I'm like, well, aren't you, aren't you interested in this? <laughs> and they said, yeah. I said, well, why don't you go there and see what it's all about? And then so I actually put together the, for the first time a trip to go there and, wow. and of course, I, I was a broke college student. I didn't have money to go myself. And I, I remember I was a junior at the time. But of course, and not thinking through it, I was the only one they wanted to talk to because I put this whole thing together. I would have totally got hired on Wall Street as a junior at, at Michigan State, in which nobody went to Wall Street from you know, a Midwestern college back then. <laughs> and so the, uh, um, I did an internship at, uh, at the time Comerica Bank. And uh, just loved it. And I started looking, you know, seeing different areas and so forth and doing some analysis. And I'm like, okay, this is kind of cool. Back then you couldn't stay on the analysis side though and work your way all the way up. And that's really what I had an interest in, but I really loved the stock market. And growing up in the, you know, kind of the Midwest and out in the country a little bit, I didn't know anything about going to graduate school. It wasn't even on my radar, frankly. And, um, and then someone I was working with actually went and they got into, they applied and got into a good school. And I'm thinking, well, I'm as good as they are. What the heck? Let's try this, let's take the GMAT and let's put some applications out there. And then lo and behold, I got, uh, got into the University of Chicago and ended up going there. And uh, so from there, I got an internship with Merrill Lynch in New York uh, and just looked at trading. And here, here's kind of a, um, a strategy. When I got there, people, a bunch of people asked me, "Well, how are you just doing an internship on trading? Why aren't you doing sales and all this other stuff?" I asked. I already had the internship, <laughs> so I just asked us to, to emphasize what I liked. And so, you know, just to, you know, feel free to ask, and you know, they're not going to take away your internship because of that, right?
0: <laughs> So uh, these kind of first early stage uh, jobs that you had, is there like a lesson you would do or is there like any advice you'd give to somebody at that like 18 to 22 range getting that first few internships?
1: Yeah, well, the first one is show up and be prepared, right? And I know that sounds pretty simple, but be ready to work. And if, if you need to stay late and get some stuff done, stay late and get stuff done you know, part of it is you learning what you like and what you're good at. And the other one is them seeing whether you fit in, but also you're seeing whether you like that culture. And so the more you're around people and the more you're around a company, that's the only way you kind of figure that out. And, you know, just going in, you know, quickly getting the stuff done and shooting out of there um, because you want to, because it's summertime and you want to relax and goof around, (laughs) you know, remember you're trying to figure out what you, what you want to do the rest of your life. And you know the only way you do that is if you're kind of hanging around with the people. you know maybe you're going out you know after work once in a while, but sitting and maybe meeting other people from different departments and checking stuff out. And you know just keep your eyes open, and if you have questions, ask. Don't pretend you know something. remember, you're you're on an internship. You're not supposed to know a whole lot. <laughs> and but a lot of people you know feel scared about asking. And even when I was at Comerica Bank, we were sitting in a presentation from this company from that was taking over border security for um, freight from Canada, back and forth between Canada and the US. And they, they needed filler people. So they asked the interns to go. And so uh, they said, don't say anything. But we're sitting there and of course, something pops in my head that I have a question about. And I'm looking around and no one else is asking questions. So my hand starts going up. and they're they're glaring at me and then i asked this question of well if you're taking over for the federal government and given the amount of security and background checks you have to do how are you in the world are you going to do it cheaper than they're doing it and while maintaining the level of security that you already have and literally no one there could answer the question and so both companies offered me a job after that meeting Even though they had told me not to say anything. (laughs)
0: Good good thing you said something, right? Otherwise, you might not be sitting here. (laughs) Right, exactly. And so, you know, that's why
1: being intellectually curious is a good thing. And, you know, ask questions, try to figure stuff out. Um, You know, just like the other day, uh, something came out from uh, Los Angeles that said they can't, they're not going to allow drilling for oil anymore. I'm like, wait a second, they, they do, they drill for oil in, in, uh, in Los Angeles? I mean, I've been there a number of times, I've never seen it. Well, what they do is they actually mask the oil barracks with buildings and art structures. So they're literally all around you and you'd have no idea. Really? Yeah. That's crazy, I, I had no clue. Me either. <laughs> and so, but being just intellectually curious about this stuff, you know, and then going to try to figure figure that stuff out it can lead you in a lot of directions that you don't necessarily know you're going into. Um, And so for, for myself, you know, that's what kind of got me into um, trading and investments and, you know, from Merrill Lynch, they were, they were merging with another company. So there are no jobs in New York. I talked to Robert Baird in Milwaukee before I left and they had an internship, but I didn't know if I liked doing that, that one position. It just so happened what I liked doing is what they had a job in. And so it was a good combination. And I was looking for a company and in in this is what I say, you know, look for things that, um, that are a good fit for you. I would see people that were hired in New York and by the end of the summer, after you know, spending all this money on, a, on an MBA, being fired by the end of the summer. I'm like, well, what if I'm no good at this? I don't wanna be fired three months after I graduate. And so I was looking for a place that had a, more of a training program would allow you to make mistakes. And then, yeah, if a couple of years down the road, I'm not doing well. Yeah, I get it. I shouldn't be there. And so, um and that's what I found in bear. You know, they, they definitely gave you that long runway to try to figure it out.
0: Definitely. So during like your equity trading roles, were you buying any meme stocks at the time? <laughs> <Any> <laughs> <name stock? laughs> yeah. Well, we had,
1: you know, cause I, let's see, I left that in what, 2009 after the financial crisis. <laughs> the perfect time to start a startup, right? <laughs> and uh, actually they say it, it's not a bad time too, but uh, I, w- I went and started a startup at that time. And, um, but we had year 2000 stuff, which was similar to the meme stocks of today. And because you would have anything that mentioned the internet at that time, literally you would have a catalog company if you, and they mentioned they were gonna put it online and the stock would go up 300%. right and so it was just a crazy times i still remember there there was a an engineering firm that went public that said they were going to do business online well you only have so many engineers you can only do so much business and this thing started out with like a valuation of like a hundred million dollars within six months it was bankrupt (laughs) and so um you know so we had our meme stocks of the day back then
0: (laughs) so uh In your equity trading role, you said you left Baird in equity trading after the 2009 crisis, what kind of propelled you to think, like to start looking in the realm of startups, and when did you realize that you could start your own?
1: Yeah, I I actually started looking back in 2007, and I just hadn't found the right opportunity And I actually opened the business in 2008, but the way it's structured is you don't actually get paid until January of 2009. (laughs) So just by coincidence, it's when the, when all, you know, everything hit the fan in, uh, you know, 2008 and late 2008, and then bottomed March, 2009. Um, It just so happened that the timing worked out to be the exact same, but it actually, you know, it kind of worked out. Okay. Because, um, you know, private equity and so forth within the company. Um, I was able to get that and use that to start start the business in 2009. So that's one, capital was one, but the idea and the opportunity was the other one. And you, you can do it with a lot less capital now and with various businesses and so forth. Um, you can really start many businesses with almost no capital. Um, now, the one we were opening was a brick and mortar Um, locations all over the country so that takes a lot more capital and that's when I started to get into real estate as well because I I actually learned how to um, develop strip malls at that time because that's that was the first one of the first locations I actually helped the person build the strip mall so we could have a prime location wow and so they had never done it before so I I said hey I haven't done it before either but I'm kind of good at finance you know, what if I help you out and you give us some free rent? He said, okay, that sounds good.
0: Yeah. <laughs> what, were, what were the terms on the free rent?
1: Uh, we got six months. So it was worth about 20 grand, you know, for, for a startup. That's pretty good.
0: That's definitely pretty good. Could you talk about uh, kind of what the startup was and the services offered?
1: Yeah. So the, this particular startup was working with kids that had neurological and neurobehavioral disorders. And so we did a little test group and just saw phenomenal results working with kids. It was really the, the first time you had an occupational therapist, a physical therapist, and a special education teacher all under one roof. And, you know, that, that was really kind of groundbreaking at the time. And so, you know, the, the thought process was by bringing everybody under one roof, everybody's on the same page, and you should be able to get a lot uh, better results from it. And so they have grown, there's over hundred locations in the country. Um, we used to work with uh, the Zach Brown Band for those that know him. Oh, wow. And uh, he does a summer camp and the people in the Atlanta office would run that. And actually one of them bought his old house <laughs> and uh, um, wherever he would go, he would stop concerts and you know, talk about our program and so forth. And, um, and then the, the reason I actually left was they did some research and they decided to put it in their own journal instead of doing a double blind study, which you need to get funded by insurance companies, the state, um, and so forth. So I knew it was always going to be a struggle for on the payment side. And so for me, that was, you know, kind of the cutoff. And, um, when I, and then I sold my business partner and then kind of moved on and, and then started investing, consulting more and, uh, you know, expanding the real estate at that point.
0: Yeah, definitely. What was the hardest part you would say about expanding the centers?
1: Um, really building awareness and bringing people in, and you know that's really the toughest part. It, it's, it it would always be a a quarterly or yearly struggle, and as opposed to if insurance is available, then that struggle goes away, and so. And the reason I left was, that was really a $20 million opportunity. It ended up because the research was done differently, not being that, (laughs) I did okay, but not like that at all. (laughs) And uh, so even to this day, I have really no idea why they didn't do it the right way. Um, So, but that's part of, when you take that risk going in and you have one linchpin thing, and it's something that you physically can't do yourself, you're kind of dependent on it. And so it's, you you need to make sure that uh, um, they're doing it the right way. But but all the signs pointed that it was gonna come out okay. Um, For those hockey fans out there, there's a player, Sidney Crosby uh, who had concussion issues. And he had gone to traditional neurologists and he wasn't getting anywhere. And he went to the doctor who was doing our research and he was back on the ice in I believe 45 days. Wow. So I, all signs pointed that, this, that the right person was doing the research and everything was going
0: to work out good. Yeah, definitely. Do you have any advice for people uh, trying to start their own startup?
1: Yeah, one, uh, do a lot of work on the, so on this one, I did a lot, of, and being one of the first main companies that I started, I made a lot of mistakes, definitely. And, uh, you know, I concentrated on the product, And how good it was and you just assumed and you know partly we knew that there would be demand but actually what is that demand and doing a lot of work on it and so you really need to in your discovery process really need to concentrate on the the customer and their demand and what they want and because we may want something and we may think they want something and want it a certain way but we we need to really you know, make sure that we understand what they need and want. And so for for example, even um, uh, traffic flows in Northern Illinois. So we went down and we checked out traffic flows to see, make sure people could get there after school from different locations. And we're like, okay, this works okay, people can get there. Well, we didn't realize because we weren't from the area that certain people don't go to certain locations or that they expect services to come to them, or different in different communities, and things like that. And that was our mistake in the discovery process.
0: Definitely. And uh, when did, so you said you exited, you mentioned you exited for that uh, certain reason. When did you start to transition into more of your current role, uh, consulting and investing?
1: Yeah, and then, um, so I did that in, what, 2014? And then um, this opportunity came at the the University of Wisconsin Whitewater to teach um, entrepreneurship uh, and finance uh, in 2017. And so I saw it as a great opportunity. I had been a hockey coach uh, and with uh, all the way up through high school and then um, with some camps at the Boston, this company that works with Boston Bruins uh, I did some with them around the country, and uh, I saw this as doing coaching in business, and I just thought, man, that I think that'd be a lot of fun. <laughs> and so the, that's when I made the jump in into the teaching role as well. And I like to do a lot of different things, and so because one thing I found that w- when I was doing the uh, the trading on my own and even investing on my own, flipping properties and so forth. When an idea or an opportunity takes a while, or it doesn't, you know, say it's been a week or two weeks or a month, and you really haven't made a lot of money, you start to get a little anxious about it and you tend to take more risk. And so what the teaching allows me to do is you have your base and you don't have to take the risks. You, I could wait three months, six months, not do a deal, not do an investment, and it doesn't matter. I can wait for the right ones. And so that having that um, security really allows you the opportunity to do that a lot better.
0: Definitely. Do you think there's any misconceptions about investing from the outside?
1: Oh, I, I, I think there's a lot, especially, especially nowadays. <laughs> you know, Especially you know when, when you get things like AMC and GameStop and so forth, and people make a bunch of money on it, people tend to think it's really easy. And so for those that think, oh man, I can day trade and I can do this. Well, there's a reason that over 95% of day traders don't make money. So just think about this. So you're sitting at your computer and you're, and you're waiting for a right trade to occur. And it, it's, never, it's not showing up. Remember, you're eight, eight hours and you're sitting there. You're sitting there. It's really tough not to buy something. And then say that day goes by and you're the next day and you're sitting there and sitting there and, and things are moving and and you're not really getting the the way things are, you know, the flow of how things are working. And so you're not pulling the trigger. And now you're starting to feel a little pressure. like, man, stuff's moving around. I should be making money. And then you pull the trigger and you buy at the top and it sells off and you end up losing money. And then, so you lose a few hundred bucks or a thousand bucks and you're like, Oh my God, what am I doing? And then it puts even more pressure on you because now didn't not only did you not make money, now you just lost money. <laughs> and so then it just compounds it and puts even more pressure on you.
0: Definitely. And I think that's like an issue now, especially it being so easy to trade, is that a lot of kids start trading and then it fundamentally like it like dissuades them from investing in general. And this is a disclaimer. I did try day trading when I was like 15, but we are, we are beyond that now. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, and there and there's a big thing between trading and investing. Those are very different things. Uh, it's it's much easier to invest over the long term. Do your research, find a good company, and stick with it. Um, you know, everyone has the story of you know Warren Buffett, and they you know know he's been doing this for a long time. He's a billionaire now, and so forth. But uh, there was. Per- a person um, who was a money manager. Well, he he was a broker that kind of turned into a money manager because he was one of the first people in the U.S. to manage over a billion dollars as a broker. His name name was Bill Shields. He actually went to MIT in, I believe, the 1940s or something like that, where like rocket scientists (laughs) went at the time. And so, um, but he would own company. He owned some companies for clients for over 50 years. And he, he just said, hey, if they're doing the right thing and they're doing what they say say they're doing, why should I sell it? Which is right. Because, you know, say a um, say Facebook goes from 100 to, well, nowhere near 100, but we'll just use the numbers, 100 to 150. And you're like, oh man, the market's getting a little toppy. It's going to sell off. Now you have to think about, based on your ta- personal tax rate, and that $50 gain, if you sell it now, you're gonna have to pay taxes on it. So will the market decline more than how much you're gonna pay in taxes? If it doesn't, then there's no reason to sell it. And that's where it starts getting a bit more complex on that and what, what you need to look at and so forth. But finding stuff and buying what you can feasibly afford for the long term you'll be much better off in the end. In fact, I was just walking through time value of money stuff with a bunch of my uh, students and, and it's amazing. I mean, you can easily save up $500,000 or a million dollars if you start when you're young like you and only putting it a little bit away every month or every year.
0: Yeah, definitely. I remember uh, in like eighth grade, I would have like the compound interest calculator and I would be like, that Subway sandwich costs you like 30 grand. <laughs> <laughs> You'd invest it in the stock market. And I'd, tell, I'd like, tell my mom that, be like, oh, that's a million dollar car. And she'd be like, what are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> it's, such a, it's such an interesting concept that I think needs to be pushed really, really hard, especially at a younger age. Because understanding that, it can set you apart even like putting in a few extra hours of work in your 20s and not saving again can yield like really above average results. So I'm glad you touched on that claim.
1: Well, and even with, with all of the gig economy stuff now, so for all the young people out there, here's something to try. If you're going to spend money on a given day, do a gig that makes you at least that amount of money. And then, and have that in addition to whatever, whatever job you're working. If you can do that, you're going to be so well off when you, by the time you hit your 30s um, that you won't even believe it. Yeah,
0: definitely. Wow, that's, <laughs> I have to try that. <laughs> oh, can, just uh, could you, going kind of into your real estate portfolio, could you yeah. just talk about the thrill of your first deal, kind of what got you into it, uh, and then just little basics on it?
1: The the first one's always the scariest, because you're like, should I pull the trigger? Should I do it and not know? And, and the first one I was actually gonna do was right after I had uh, left Baird, there were some opportunities because of the financial crisis down in Chicago. And I literally had dozen, over a dozen people tell me, oh my God, you don't wanna buy in Chicago. Everybody's leaving Chicago. And I'm like, I don't know, this is kind of a prime spot. I think this would be really good. And they totally talked me out of it. I told I
0: wish oh, I had no. that property today.
1: <laughs> and yeah, it, it was just prime. And, uh, uh, you know, so that's the other thing. You know, if, if you do your analysis and you're really comfortable with the analysis you've done, trust the numbers, right? And so a lot of people will talk you out of it because they really don't know the numbers or have done the, the research. It's okay to be skeptical. And it's okay to ask other people what they think after showing them the numbers and showing them what you think, um, but trust trust the numbers. Uh, but yeah, that first one is always the always the trickiest because you're like, oh, should I do this? Should I should I do it? <laughs> and um, and that was that's how it was in my first one, and uh, really in all of the the flips I've done, I've made money on every single one of them. Um, partly, and partly I take that too, is I only do ones. I know I'm pretty sure I will make money on and two, I only do a few a year because of that, a uh, partly time issue and partly I don't want to give up the margins and that way I'm always confident that I'll make it. Definitely. And so, and then on the rental properties, you know, I stay away from the really low ones and the really high ones. And so by kind of staying in the middle and in areas that aren't deteriorating, but in areas that you think can come back at some point um, for whatever reason that may be. And because when times get bad, people move down. So someone who was paying 1200 bucks a month may go to paying a thousand or even 900 a month. And so you actually get a better clientele. (laughs) Um, And then, but even in normal times, you still have the person, the people that are paying from anywhere from 500 to 1100 in most markets. And so there's always demand in those areas. And so, you know, what I was saying earlier, you know, if we look at the stock market and do, you know, will it be up 10%, down 10% or, you know, where will it be? And people really, if you had to guess right now, I mean, we don't know what's going on overseas. We don't know you know, what's going on with inflation. Um, it would be a total guess. With the with the real estate I have, I'm gonna make 20%, pretty guaranteed. <laughs> and, and next year, I'm probably making 20%. And the year after that, I'm probably making 20%. <laughs> so I totally, I totally switched over from a lot of equity. I still have a balanced portfolio just in case things happen. Um, and that's what I'd say with anything, make sure you have a balanced portfolio. But
0: I definitely skewed a lot more, most of my portfolio on real estate now. Yeah, definitely. You mentioned the Chicago story and it's hard because there's like the FOMO, the fear of missing out because of the Chicago stuff. When I was in my day trader phase, which is disclaimer, it's now gone, would never recommend it. I was buying this stock called Plug Power for 50 cents and I bought like 100 shares and okay. I, I sold it. For like, I made double the money. I sold it at a buck, like a few, like a year later, because I just was. I always my date when my day trading thing came. I would never sell it because I was always too scared. But this one I sold, and I checked the price during the pandemic, and it was like eighty nine dollars, and I would have had like a hundred grand. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say when you said the name, I knew
1: the name. I've heard of that.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I was buying it in like twenty sixteen. <laughs> oh my god, <laughs> that, that that one <laughs> will sting a little.
1: <laughs> right, exactly. well and those are the when you do your research and you're really comfortable with something and you think they have something and whether that's in the stock market if that's in cryptocurrency and whatever um holding it for a long period of time that's that's really where people make most of the money
0: yeah definitely so kind of in your work right now what would you say the most fulfilling part of it is to you
1: well one with with the students, I, I like to see when, cause a lot of students, they, they kind of, you know, they see HGTV and people are like decorating their houses and flipping houses and stuff. They're like, hey, that's kind of cool. I'll take this first real estate class. <laughs> and uh, so some of them come in there and then I kind of open the eyes to the whole commercial side of the real estate world and how many businesses are there and what's available and so forth. And they're like, wait a second, this is pretty cool. <laughs> and so I like I like opening up people's eyes and kind of showing that. And then really, I, I've seen a number of students really develop, like even some who initially said, oh, I'm terrible with numbers. I, I'm not very good at this. And then now they're working at a bank because of a project they did for me or something like that, that made them believe that, hey, if it's something I'm really interested in, I am good at it, right? And so a lot of us, you know, we think we're not good at something because you know, we just have kind of a half-hearted interest in it. But when we get really interested at in it and we dive into it, we're actually really good at it. And so the, I like seeing that transformation in students. And that, that's to me is, is really the uh, most fulfilling part.
0: Yeah, definitely. So just to end the show, do you have any like lasting piece of advice you'd give to an 18 year old right now? Yeah, one look
1: look around and find stuff that you're interested in. And, and the reason I say that is like whether you're an entrepreneur, many companies um, have entrepreneurs or entrepreneurial type jobs within their companies. If you like investments, uh, investments doesn't mean you have to be, you know, down, you know, on the pits of Wall Street, banging away with someone trying trying to trade. You know, insurance companies have billions of dollars. And they need they need to invest. You have um, the auto companies have billions of dollars. We have plenty of companies in Wisconsin and Illinois that have um, tons of investments and have people. And you don't necessarily have to go to big investment banks either. Um, American Family Insurance has investment bankers. I don't know if you knew that in Madison. Really? <laughs> yeah, and they get paid the same as investment bankers that are Robert Baird or a Wells or uh, whatever. And so it's, it's really interesting. So if you look at, look out there and you find what really interests you, you can match your personality with the type of work that interests you. And I think that's what most people don't realize is that in the same type of work, um, they really have the breadth of how you want to be and what fits you personally. And so, you know, getting out into all these different groups and really taking advantage of what you have at college Um, because being able to go and see, you know, a CEO uh, presentation, or see a a real estate presentation by people in the industry, or someone in the investment group, or what have you, um, it'll spur something, you know, possibly that they're like, you know, that seems really interesting. I kind of like that. And then look, look into it more, you know, and then lastly, I'd say, your first job is not your last job. Okay. Yeah. And so the, you know, when you go in and you're taking that first job and you're like, okay, yeah, I kind of like this. And you know, but I wish I was doing something a little bit more. Remember, you can always switch and but switch before you, you quit, not after. <laughs> it's always easier to get hired when you have a job. And you know, if it um, if you really want to change courses and do something completely different. Uh, grad school allows you to do that. And so, and that's for me, that's what I was doing. I was going from commercial banking, and I wanted to become a trader. It was something completely different. And I probably couldn't do it on my own is what I was thinking. And because no one was going to give me the chance. And so I looked at what I needed to do. And that's when I went back to uh, for graduate school. And that that allowed me to make that switch.
0: Awesome. That's a great note to end on. I just want to thank you again for coming on today. I think this is a very insightful conversation and very valuable to the listeners.
1: No, great. Uh, Well, glad you asked me and and say if people ever have any questions, you know, feel proud or feel free to reach out to me. Um, I'm on LinkedIn and, uh, you know, send me a request and uh, feel free to chat. Great.